hypnosis is a science. It's a neuroscience. And it's based on changing various states of consciousness. You can also look at hypnosis as a state of focused magnified concentration. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. My guest on this episode is Tom Silver. Tom's a hypnotherapist, but not just any hypnotherapist. He's been doing it for almost four decades. And yes, he's heard everything there is to hear about hypnosis, that it's fake or staged, or it just doesn't work. But Tom takes hypnosis very serious as a science. To him, hypnosis is not just about making people cluck like a chicken. It's about truly helping people solve their problems. And he's had tons of success doing it. Tom has appeared on various radio shows and TV shows. He's been on the Jimmy Kimmel Show, Comedy Central, Discovery Channel. You name it, he's done it. And I could sit here and go on and on about all the amazing things that Tom has done and what he's capable of doing. But the reason I decided to interview him is so he can tell you all about it instead. And it sounds so much better coming from him. So, with all that being said... Let's dive right into my conversation with famed hypnotherapist and good man, Tom Silver. Tom Silver, welcome to the show. I got to tell you, it's been a long time coming for in a variety of different ways. I first saw you, I think it was on the man show back in the day. We're talking maybe 20 years ago. Thought what you did was really interesting, fun, funny and kind of had a mental note at some point to reach out to you. Yeah. Fast forward 20 years. I think I've, I've seen your work just here or there. I haven't been stalking you, not enough. And then I heard you on a, a podcast. I said, I've got to reach out. Your energy is awesome. What you're doing, I think is fantastic. And I think it can show up in a lot of areas of people's life in a positive way. So I'm really glad that you agreed to come on the show, share your story, share your expertise and enlighten us. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show, Adam. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's funny. You saw me on the man show. When I did that show, I've known Jimmy Kimmel for years. I've been on radio for years. And I, back in the 1990s, I was on a radio show called The Kevin and Bean Show. It was on KROQ Radio in Southern California, Los Angeles. I think their offices were like in Burbank or something. But that's where I met Jimmy Kimmel. And he was some guy that would call in every week and he'd talk like this and he'd talk about sports. He was Jimmy the sports guy. And actually, I thought he was a real caller. That, that shows you how much I knew about radio back then. And so I thought he was a, a real caller calling in and giving sports tips and talking about all these teams and everything. And then later on, he started coming on the show. And then another guy started coming on the show named Adam Carolla. And the next thing I'm doing bits, I'm hypnotizing Adam Carolla and Kimmel's and all these things. We're doing all this fun, wild, goofy stuff. But at the same time, I'm talking about hypnosis and hypnotherapy because I've been a hypnotherapist for 30 something years. But I'll never forget 
one day Jimmy comes up to me. He says, "Hey Tom, you know we're going to be doing a, a a funny show. It's going to be it's going to be a bunch of women jumping on trampolines with no bras on, and we're going to call it the Man Show." And I thought, "Wow, that's kind of interesting." I mean, I would watch it, of course. You know. So then I, he called me one day and had me come on that show, and. I was always wondering because I was started watching it. I think it was what was it? Was it on Comedy, Comedy Central? Central you know what it was? I think. Yeah, I could look it up. Yeah, it was probably Comedy Central. That's where I did Ultimate Revenge with Ryan Seacrest in his beginning days. So I, I guess I get to work with these people, and they become these big shots, and I'm still the hypnotist. But anyway, I was wondering about: is this beer real, or is it like something that looks like beer with foam on it? But they were actually drinking real beer on that TV show, which I. <laughs> That was extraordinary. But Kimmel put me through a bunch of real strange, wild routines. And every time I'm on these kinds of shows where I'm doing these really strange, silly, goofy, and sometimes even sexual stuff, I always wonder, God, is this going to affect or ruin my career? But it, it really doesn't. It actually has all been helping my career. But it's interesting that you mentioned The Man Show. And then before that, can I tell you a story? Oh, please do. Well... Adam Carolla was on a show called Love Line. Do you remember that with Dr. Drew? No, I do not. But well, it was, on, it was on MTV, and then it was a radio show on for years and years. I think, I don't know if it's still on, but Dr. Drew is a psychologist, and he's done these different TV things, and he became pretty popular on the TV networks on these drug rehab shows and stuff like that. But since I knew Adam from K-Rock, one day he calls me, he says, I was working at a place called the Hypnosis Motivation Institute. That's where I was certified years and years ago as a hypnotherapist. I worked my way through hypnotism school, by the way. That's another story. So Adam calls me and he says, I just got this new MTV show called The Man Show. He goes, but I'm, I'm afraid. I don't feel I deserve it. I feel real insecure that I don't deserve to have this stardom and success. So I had him come into my office and I did some hypnotherapy to remove his limited belief in himself. Did he pay me for my session? No. Sometimes <laughs> these guys, they think because they're celebrities, they don't want to pay you. Yeah. But anyway, but he, it wound up really helping him. And then they did this show called The Man Show. So anyway, I'm really glad to be here and to talk about hypnotism and have some fun with you today. That's a beautiful thing. So let me ask you this, because it was really interesting. I, I was telling my executive producer, uh, Mark Wishnia, about having you on. And I was excited and I was trying to describe you. I mean, you know, how do you describe yourself? Author, entertainer, hypnotist, trainer, entrepreneur, pioneer, or just simply a really interesting guy? Uh, thank you. Yes to the above. <laughs> well put. No, I describe myself as a guy who learned hypnosis, went through a hypnotism school. I was in between gigs in the record business. I, I was a musician for many years. I majored in music on the flute. So I played woodwinds, saxes, and all that. So I was working for Polygram Records in the 80s, from like 1980 to 85, Polygram. And I worked with a lot of, guys, a lot of bands, Kiss and Def Leppard, and just a whole bunch of different groups, Billy Idol, Cool and the Gang. So when I lost that job, because they decided to let me go. And the branch manager thought that the secretary looked a little prettier than I did. Of course, she was a lot prettier than I did. And she had a little different figure. So they let me go. That's when my brother told me about an opening in this hypnotism school for a camera guy. And they said, if you videotape 
the courses and the case histories in this school, I'd get $10 an hour credit, and <laughs> which I guess maybe back in the 80s, I don't know if it was a lot of money. I don't think so. But he said, you'd get $10 an hour credit, the Institute guy, George Kappas said. And he said, within after a year, you can take the whole course. And I thought, wow, how cool is that? I always loved hypnotism. I never thought I'd be a hypnotist. I loved hypnosis. I was always interested in mediumship and psychics and spiritualism and ghosts and all of that stuff. But when this opportunity happened for me in between record gigs, I thought, how great is that? So I started being the camera guy and I was the onstage camera guy. So it was a three camera shoot and I was a guy on stage videotaping these really good hypnotherapists that had practices for years. And the son's father, John Kappas, who was kind of like an internationally renowned guy. He was married to Florence Henderson. Mm. Remember her, the Brady yeah, Bunch? Of course, yeah. Yeah, I think he cured her alcoholism and some other stuff. So I got a chance to be this camera guy and look into this lens and to like just concentrate on what these hypnotherapy trainers were teaching the students. And of course, I got the audience reaction. Someone laughed or nodded their head. Yeah, I'd get that. My camera would be hot. But after a year of working as a camera guy, I went through the school and I got certified as a hypnotherapist. I learned a lot of little things, kind of like a jack of all trades, but a master of none, little theories and little bits of education. But I knew I was lacking a, a lot. So after that school, I just started doing stage hypnosis, fraternities. I was asked to go to China and uh, introduce the Taiwan culture to hypnotism. And I had to create a method to interpret to, with an interpreter, translingual hypnosis. So to really answer your question, I wound up doing everything in hypnotism. I mean, hypnotherapy, stage entertainment hypnosis. I was the NBA halftime show hypnotist, hypnotizing people in big arenas on center court with 20,000 people watching. I wrote books, I taught courses around the world, and I had a private practice, which I still have, which I just conducted a, an internet therapy session for over 35 years. So I like to say that I embraced hypnosis, took it to the outer limits, and did everything in the field of hypnotism that a person could do. And I have had the most extraordinary, amazing life. And um, yeah, really, I mean, we, we, you can bring up topics. We can talk about anything you want to talk about in the field of hypnotism because I had a chance to create my own methods, to become a neuroscientist in the field of hypnotism, to be a tester, kind of like a scientific tester, like uh, Thomas Edison with the filament. And so it's been an amazing journey, my friend. It sounds like it. Well, let me ask you this. I, I don't mean to be so ignorant, but I am. Would you mind explaining to me exactly what hypnosis is? I appreciate you asking that. Yeah. Hypnosis is a science. It's a neuroscience. And it's based on changing various states of consciousness. You can also look at hypnosis as a state of focused, magnified concentration. Mm -hmm. But it's something we all have experienced. Every one of you listening have been hypnotized many times. And maybe you're in hypnosis right now. When you drive your car and you're on automatic pilot, and you're thinking thoughts, and all of a sudden you reach your destination, you say, how the hell did I get here? 
thinking about this this girl I'm going out with tonight or, or thinking about going to work and I'd rather be staying home. You're engaged in thoughts, but yet you're driving. But you're not aware of going from point A to point B. You're not thinking, well, I got to turn left. I got to stop at this stoplight. You're on this zone of automatic pilot automation. And that's because your subconscious is doing the driving for you. So, Ken, if I can interject for a quick second, just to make sure I understand this. So you are lucid during this or you're not lucid when, and I understand there's different types of, of zones. So I'm assuming like maybe athletes at some point are probably in some form of hypnosis. Am I understanding this right or no? Yeah. Well, think about a zone is a hypnotic state. Mm -hmm. So when I'm driving my car and I'm on automatic pilot, I'm disengaged in the full aspect of driving and I'm in inner thought activity. I'm thinking about things. But yet when I learned how to drive, there was such a strong desire to want to drive that program, kind of like a software program got downloaded into my subconscious biocomputer. See, we have two parts of our mind operating, our thinking, our conscious intellectual mind that most people use incorrectly, very successfully. And then we have our subconscious mind, which is our emotions, our memories, our habits, and our behaviors, and every bit of strong stimulus information that has been downloaded into that hard drive. So when you learn how to drive, it almost becomes now a reflex response. I'm driving, but I'm not thinking about what I have to do to start my car, to turn right or turn left or put my foot on the brake. It's almost an instinctive automatic behavior. And when it becomes that automatic behavior, that's your subconscious doing it, not your conscious, because that's what the autopilot is. It's your subconscious mind doing the driving for you when we are engaged in thought activity and kind of spaced out when we're driving. Has that ever happened to you? Almost every day. <laughs> well, well, there you go. You're hypnotized. And any of your listeners uh, listening to this podcast, when you've done that, when you zone out when you're driving, you are in a, a state of hypnosis. You're in a state of the autopilot is your subconscious mind you're doing the driving for you. What about watching movies? You ever watch a movie, Adam? All the time. You ever feel the emotions of the movie? Yeah. Exciting movie. You're feeling the excitement of it. A, a sexual movie. Maybe that your hormones are stimulated. We're keeping it G-rated, folks. Yeah. You're watching a sad movie and, and maybe you're sad or you're seeing people crying or your girlfriend or wife next to you has this emotional episode going on. Or you're watching this movie and you're hearing this sound. Doo, 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 and this big fiberglass shark jumps out of the water and you back up and you're all afraid to go in the ocean this summer the jaws eared those are all hypnosis that's waking hypnosis when you go into a movie theater you're aware of everything around you the person texting and you're hoping they'd stop this texting when the movie starts and shut that darn cell phone off or the person chewing on that noisy popcorn or eating the hot dog or whatever but the movie starts and you start to Watch the movie. You start to engage in the movie. Focus, concentration, wham, bam, all of a sudden, I'm emotionally involved in that movie. And when I'm feeling the emotions of the movie, all of a sudden, everything else around me is kind of gone. I don't think about that guy chewing popcorn. I don't think about the kid yelling or crying. I don't even hear him. I am so focused in watching that movie, just like you are, folks. 
the movie has hypnotized you. I'm emotionally affected by the movie. The movie ends and like all of a sudden I think, oh my gosh, I can go back to my life or I want to see more because it was so exciting. Time distortion occurs too when you're engaged watching the movie. So when you watch a movie and you're emotionally affected by the movie, you're hypnotized. It's fascinating and I believe it. And so some of these things are habits, right? Like that's the kind of our, I mean, not the movies, but the driving and I'm assuming other hypnotic states that we get in are as a result of habits. Is that true? Let's look at this as a computer. Let's look at this like as computer technology. We have certain programs, life programs that get downloaded into our subconscious biocomputer. Mm-hmm. And that's 90% of our mental power. Our thinking thought mind, intellectual mind is only about 8 to 10% of our true mind potential. But that. you're absolutely right. These are habits and habits are programs like addiction is a habit. You know, we can say, well, I, I have alcoholism, I'm addicted to alcohol, or I'm, mm-hmm. I'm addicted to gambling or porn or whatever you want to call it. But when you think about that, those are still habits. And a habits can have so many emotional attachments to it, like craving that or dopamine, that the habit usually will override our intellectual ability to resist it. But these are programs that have been recorded into our subconscious mind. So are you... Oh my God, there's so much to unpack here. Okay. Yes, a lot of stuff, man. I'm sorry, a lot of information. Yeah, no, I mean, it really is. So uh, I guess let me go back and start at like a high level. What are the, the, I'm sure there's so many different things that you're helping people with. Are there, I don't know, three to five of the most common types of hypnosis that you are doing? That's a great question. Absolutely. Most people that go to a hypnotist, they go to the, see the hypnotherapist to stop smoking or lose weight, or to help them sleep better at night, or to remove stress or tension, or to increase their, their motivation. So those are the standard processes. I think the two most requested therapies for the majority of people is to lose weight, motivation to exercise, and to stop smoking. Yeah. That's probably about 80% of the people that go in to see a hypnotherapist is to stop smoking and to lose weight. Interesting. And when you're hypnotizing these people and you're helping them, I guess, to unwind certain, I guess, state of minds or subconscious malady of thinking, how long does this last in perpetuity? Or is this something that they need to kind of, they need a refresher. They need to come back and see you, I don't know, every six months, every year, every five years, whatever the cadence is. Well, years ago, I went to this chiropractor. You know, I had some back problems. He was really good. And then he says, well, we need to put you on a monthly maintenance. He wanted to hook me in like, like a big halibut. He hooked me into coming in once a month for the rest of my life to become dependent on this chiropractic treatment. Oh, yeah, your back will start hurting again in a few weeks. Many people tie in hypnotic or suggestible suggestions to create dependency. In my practice, what I, I do short-term therapy. So I could see a person maybe one to four times, but I don't do long-term. I don't believe in, in dependency on anything except dependency on yourself. And I get a lot of clients, I did that podcast that you had mentioned it. 
I did that one podcast in Hollywood and I've seen about 80 to 90 people on my online therapy, internet therapy. And I'll tell you, a high percentage of those people would tell me about their issues or their problems or challenges, whatever you want to call them. At least 15, 20% of them have been seeing another therapist, psychologist, mm-hmm. psychiatrist, or medical doctor from anywhere from six months to three or four years, and they still have that same freaking problem. And I wonder, and I would say to them, if you're coming in to see me for this issue, and you've been working with a psychologist for two years or three years on this issue, why are you still seeing that person? Common sense. If you're coming in for an issue a phobia or whatever it is, or you were abused, sexually abused as a child, and you're constantly every week talking about the problem, how are you living in the solution if you're constantly talking about the pain and how does that make you feel? And so I just don't understand why people would keep seeing something that's not working. Let me give you a good example. Before this podcast right now, this young lady named Elizabeth, she set up this session with me. Now, she heard me on a radio station a show like somewhere, I don't know if it was in the South or something, it must have been, it's called the Mason Dixon Show. So it must have been some kind of, uh, I don't know if it was pop rock radio or country radio. But I did this radio show. I was doing radio hypnotism back in the 90s. And I'd go on a radio show and like K-Rock or Mark and Brian or KLOS or whatever the shows were I was on. And I'd be on there for in, in the morning like three mornings in a row and they bring real people in. They bring in listeners or I'd be hypnotizing the advertising lady or one of the celebrities, morning show people. And I'd be doing all these funny and silly things. We're doing live therapy. So she heard me. And back then I was seeing, and I mentioned this to you earlier before we did this podcast, 17 clients a day. That's great. By the second or third day, all of a sudden they're thinking, wow, this guy's not some wacko not hypnotist. He's like the real deal. And so I would develop my integrity or the trust in the listeners by me talking about hypnotism. Sure, I'm showing creative things, but my motivation is to change people's lives. And if I can create imagination, well, then possibly I can help you empower you to make a life change. So she saw me back in 1997. This is what, 23 years ago, Adam? Yeah, yeah. She had this Phobia of going over bridges. I mean, phobia, panic attack, full-blown panic attacks. And I did a half-hour session with her. Back then, I made a little tape recording. So I explained about environmental hypnosis, did a little progressive relaxation to get somebody to just feel what it would feel like to be in hypnosis. 15 minutes of hypnosis relaxation is equal to about five hours of natural sleep. So when people come out of hypnosis and they're like energized, they're charged, or they're just totally relaxed and free of all the stress and tension. So she had trouble going over bridges and her husband would actually have to carry her bike and his bike and she'd have her hand on his arm or shoulder and he would walk her over the bridges and she was terrified. Anyway, May 23 years later, one session, that freaking phobia is gone. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it, and you think, well, how could that be? Well, she was receptive. She was open. She wanted to have the change. And I guess I did the effective technique that worked for her. So I'm a big believer in 
I'll work with you. We'll do a hypnotherapy session. And if you're willing to allow it to work and you really want to have the change, it might work with you and be successful now and forever in one session. Maybe it might take three or four sessions, or maybe it doesn't work for you and it's not the right modality. So then I tell them, well, if it doesn't work, I say, well, maybe this isn't the right thing for you. And maybe you should try some other methods. But I don't hear psychologists doing that or medical doctors doing that. But that's really what therapy should be. Teaching people how to operate their mind effectively and successfully so they can make the successes in their life. I will give you the tools. I will put in the right rewiring of your brain through the suggestions under hypnosis. But you're the one making the life change if you allow the program to work. Wow. Tom, I have so many questions after just the stories. And, and I'll wrap, I'll give you kind of some rapid fire questions that I'm sure. Let's do it. Maybe Let's could be yes and I'll do no. short answers. I won't over talk. No, it's all right. It just leads me to so many more questions. And, and just like I advised you to have a pen and paper, I have mine here, but I just couldn't even keep up. I can't even read my chicken scratch. I was writing so many questions down. So I was like, all right, I just got to remember. So a couple things. God, so many things. So first, maybe this is quick, but you said you did radio. I don't know if this happens, but like I can see, and you talked about driving. That's when most people are listening to the radio. I mean, do you ever have to worry that if you're hypnotizing somebody over the radio, that other people that are driving could fall into this state and kind of zone out? Is that like a concern or or is that just silly? No, it could happen, man. It could really happen. Back in 1990 in in LA on the K-Rock show, I actually hypnotized twice and I still have the old audio cassettes of them. I hypnotize people in their cars in Los Angeles. Now, I don't know what I was doing, and we weren't fined by the FCC, but the guys wanted me to do that. So I told the listeners, the ones that are at home, that's okay. But I told the ones that were driving, I said, if you want to be hypnotized, pull over to the side of the road so you're not (laughs) driving. And I said, and if you don't want to be hypnotized, turn the volume down. Now, when you tell someone to turn the volume down, yes, what are they going to do? Turning it up. <laughs> Absolutely. So, man, maybe I was crazy back in the old days of hypnotism, the wild west days of hypnosis. But all I was doing, it was like what was the hottest day in the summer. And all I was doing was I was going to hypnotize all the listeners to feel cool that day and to have a great day, a fantastic day. And so people pulled over on the sides of the road and they were all going, I did mass hypnosis, man. That's I won't so do cool. it now. I mean, that's, that, it can be dangerous because someone who is a natural, what we might call spontaneous synambulist, someone that can drop Ooh. out of consciousness very quickly. I mean, anything could happen. But I got calls that day from tons of people that had the best day that they ever had in their entire (laughs) life. And even though it was filthy hot and humid, they felt cool, calm, and joyful. So it was really fantastic. And I did that twice in Southern California on that KROQ radio show. But I don't advise mass hypnosis. I got called a few years back, one of the top producers of CBS television, gave me a call or was it, I don't know, it was CBS or Fox or whatever. They were going to do a TV show and they were going to have a, a, a panel of hypnotists doing some things, hypnotizing people on the TV show. It was going to be a weekly show, but every week they were going to hypnotize, mass hypnotize the audience into stopping smoking or losing weight or all this stuff. So they asked me my opinion of it. So I started thinking about 
all of the uncontrolled situations of somebody standing up and all of a sudden dropping into hypnosis and falling on the ground and hitting their head or, or all these weird things that could have occurred or the person that's a replacement smoker because of some trauma in their life or, or something that went on. So not just an identification smoker who started smoking because their, their friends smoked. And I thought, wow, you get that person off of cigarettes and now maybe their emotions are coming out and they're hitting their kid or kicking their dog or some weird thing. Hmm. And so I told them, and I recorded this because I wanted to have this on recording. I said, well, even if you had half a percentage of the people dropping into an uncontrolled environment, not in an office, not in a therapeutic environment, I told them all the things that could occur. And I said, I consider that a very dangerous and reckless thing. This is coming from a guy that hypnotized all the people in LA back in the 90s. Of course, I got a lot smarter as I grew into the therapy practice and understood how powerful hypnosis really is on some people instantly. And then I thought, well, if you do it, I've recorded you and me talking and me telling you that I wouldn't advise it. So if you do it and people have meltdowns, well, then that means I'm going to be a consultant on a lot of lawsuits against <laughs> you people. <laughs> they never did it. They took my advice, luckily. Well, I, well, yeah, to that effect, should I be warning people not to be listening? And uh, Well, I guess we're not hypnotizing. So no, we're, we're not doing yet. a technique or a process yeah. to, to hypnotize you. We're just talking about the life of a hypnotist and all the different. And, and I don't want to talk about these things. I want to talk about the amazing things that have occurred and sometimes even the scary things that occurred because I think it's important that people understand no matter who you're seeing and if you have something you want to work on, you're seeing a hypnotherapist, do your due diligence. Find somebody who's had life experience, not someone that's just gone to a nickel and dime hypnosis course and have this ridiculous little certificate and they don't know what they're doing. Find the people that are at the best of what they've been doing and that have track records because that's real important, whether it's psychology, whether it's a fitness coach or a hypnotist. Make sure that you're working with someone that really understands hypnosis as a science and not as well, a parlor trick. Well, I got to assume that you kind of are some form of neurologist, not neurologist, but a therapist because... I'm sure people are coming to you with some kind of malady, ailment, trauma, but you're having to dig a little deeper to uncover what else is there. Or maybe, or does that, am I wrong? Or do they come, here, I'll give you an example. I'm a chronic migraine sufferer. So maybe I come to you, I say, hey, Tom, I'm a chronic migraine sufferer. But maybe through talking to me, you're like, well, you know what? Maybe you killed someone years ago and you're subconscious, you're covering it. And every time that this is, you're repressing that emotion or something, and that's what's causing the headaches. Absolutely right, Adam. Because sometimes we're dealing with the symptoms, but the cause could be something completely different. And going back to Kimmel, God bless him. I hypnotized his mother who had migraines for years and years, the most severe migraine headaches. I worked with her with two sessions and thank the good Lord above, they're still gone. She still doesn't have those migraines. But I found out working with her, and I won't get into specifics, that the migraine was a symptom. But I went and I resolved the cause of the symptom and it took away the symptoms which were the migraines. And when you think about modern medicine, doctors say 60% of your physical ailments are mentally induced, meaning they're psychosomatic, they're mentally created. 
and so many people walk around with all this imagination and negative stuff. Even the lady I just worked with, she said, well, I, I think I have attention deficit disorder. And she looked up the, uh, the symptoms of it. Well, if I look up the symptoms and I'm in a self-induced state of hyper-suggestibility, I'm going to create and imagine myself and I'm going to create those symptoms. And then I will become a product of the self-diagnosis or the diagnosis of a doctor. Now, don't get me wrong. I love medicine. Medicine's great. As a cancer guy, a guy who is living successfully with cancer, I love the medical faculty. I had a great surgeon. I found the best that could perform this surgery. I've used other treatments, but I also use my own mind at the same time to stimulate my immune system, to stimulate and keep my red blood cells and my white blood cells active, to create a state of joy in my life, because I don't walk around as a victim. I want to be a victor. So I use my science on myself. And 10 years ago, I was given five years to live. Well, guess what? It's been 10 years. I traveled to Australia. I taught courses. So I don't just use hypnotherapy to help others, but I have seen the power of it in my own life. And I use electroencephalograph, brainwave frequency monitors. Mm, yep. So I consider myself a neurophysiological therapist. I look at myself as a mind technologist, not just some hypnotist guy with a little pocket watch or saying, look into my eyes, because there's many different methods or techniques to remove resistance, bypass the conscious, to get into the subconscious mind and to delete to deprogram and to rewire your brain or your mind with a new processor, a new type of life. But I also work on teaching you how to think differently. If you walk around, and some of you listening to this program, if you wake up in the morning and say, I hate my life, I'm lazy, I'm fat, I can't do this and can't do that, you will be successful in the end result because what you think when you attach that to the emotion in your subconscious what you think and believe becomes manifested into reality in your oh, life. Yeah. I believe so it's important to change yeah. that thinking mind to quit giving yourself all these negative, what I might call negative self-talk or negative auto-suggestions. And that's what I do with my clients too when they come in to see me. If someone says, I'm lazy, I'm fat, I hate eating healthy foods, I love cheeseburgers, they're going to be successful in that outcome because they're using their mind in a negative Negative way, but a successful way. They've been successful in their limited belief system. Mm. Can I rewind back to a few minutes? Because you really got my attention on something. Yes, sir. A few things. And this is completely self-serving and selfish. So I really, if you don't want to keep going, we could go move on to the next. But you talked about helping with migraines. So I want to get back no. to me for a second. So I get a migraine almost every day. And there's medication that I take. It is absolutely brutal. And, to, and I've tried so many different, whether it's medications, surgeries, changed lifestyle patterns, you name it, I've tried it. People joke around and they say that I'm one of the happiest people that they've ever met. And I said, listen, I am ecstatic when I do not have a headache because I just appreciate life. So I'm so curious to hear what is it that you're doing? And I'm not saying just my situation in general, but where you can have such a dramatic effect by, was it the uncovering and then attacking it? Or I'm, I'm just so curious to hear how you went about helping Jimmy's mother. Okay, so first of all, what did the doctor say your migraine comes from? Okay, what, so what, I, I've been to north of 50 different doctors. 
at the end of the day, I'm just going to sum it up is that it's essentially, hey, Adam, 1% of the population walks around with a migraine every day. That's the summation. I've tried, again, medications. I've tried diets. I've had my nose done. I've had other surgery, my tonsils taken out. I've had mouth guards for sleeping, for snore. I mean, you name it. Shots I've done. Oh my God, what is it the thing that women get in their face? Botox. I've tried uh, the steroids. I mean, you just consistently try different things to no avail. Okay. Well, I just wrote a few notes. You told me to take my notepad out, which I had. <laughs> All right. Touche. So, <laughs> so, so we might say, well, genetically, or let's say biochemically, it could be a neurochemical imbalance. Yeah. So it could be that. It could be also something that's going on with the various nervous systems, what we might call your sympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic nervous system is the area where the nervous system that is attached to adrenaline, stress hormones, cortisols is stress hormones, mm. epinephrine is adrenaline, and things like that, which could over amplify your body and then directly stimulate what's called the autonomic nervous system, which would be your respiratory circulatory system, your blood circulation, which could lead to too much blood moving too quickly into the brain, which would actually swell the cortex of your brain, which could create a physical sensation of a painful experience that might be called a migraine. So the migraine is some type of amplification going on within the organ of your brain when it occurs. And it might also be tied into various triggers that occur in your life at certain times. You might be also where you're so good at it now that you can also feel it coming on. Oh, yeah. You can yep. feel something going on within your head and then you're starting to focus on the expectation of a very uncomfortable experience. See, I'm using certain words. I'm not saying pain. I'm saying uncomfortable. Yeah. So it could be a number of issues occurring and, and it could also be as simple as a physiological habit that keeps occurring because it has been programmed into the wiring of your neurology. And it could relate to some experience in your past, something that started it. It could go back to a primary trigger of something that created it. Now, that's what it was with the lady I worked with, with the celebrity's wife. Yeah. I mean, mother. It went back to an event when she was younger that created this extremely painful thing in her head this strong headache that was diagnosed as a migraine. And through the removal of the emotional attachment from the event of the past, it was able to be resolved. So how often then, or when people are coming to you, I guess how much of your business or, or what you're, I hate to even call it a business, it's so much more than that, is helping people how much of it is like fun and entertaining, kind of getting people to do interesting things? Because I'm sure you get hired to do that. I've got to assume. Because uh, how much of it is helping people with like mental issues, physical issues, or even just maybe motivation in general? Well, I would probably say now in my seasoned career, so to speak, mm -hmm. 37 years, I'm not running off on airplanes, standing in front of 20,000 people and, and turning somebody into Britney Spears or <laughs> into Taylor Swift in the halftime show. Or I never like to get the people to bark like a chicken or cluck like a dog. Get it? 
barked like a chicken, clucked like a dog. I, I want or dance on a table and take all their clothes off or tell their deep dark secrets. Everything that people are afraid of the hypnotist doing to them. But guess what? Some of the many people will do that without even being hypnotized. That put a few drinks in them. You don't even have to do that. The extrovert will do it just to get the attention. But the fact is, ninety. I would say, although I was just back in L.A on um, Big Boy's Neighborhood. Big Boy is syndicated. He's on on these cable shows. He's been around for years. It's kind of an urban station. Back in March or February, when I went and did that podcast, Mm -hmm. that Dak Shepard deal, I did the Big Boy Neighborhood show where I did some really funny things. But it was really fun, but at the same time, educated. So to answer your question in a long, short version of it, 99% of my... Uh, life. My hypnotism career now is in therapy or scientifically training in neuroscientific hypnosis around the world and very little entertainment. But I used to do all the, I used to do tons. I did it both because I felt if I can entertain you and educate you at the same time, I've got a captive audience. Mm. I mean, look at it this way. Look at it this way. The census these days are people's attention span is like six to seven seconds at the most people have an attention span like a flea so when you can entertain and educate at the same time and keep them stimulated through emotion you're able to have a captive audience so the stage stuff and the entertainment stuff is great like when i used to do the tv shows i did ricky lake I was hired to go and do the Ricky Lake show when we were going to hypnotize shy guys to remove their social anxiety and women to get them to go out and meet people in in clubs or bars or wherever. But it wound up, Ricky Lake wound up with the dog and pony thing, having a girl shake a guy's hand and having an orgasm or having a pretty girl look in the mirror and think she wasn't pretty anymore. I mean, people, unfortunately, a lot of shows like to see the dog and pony stuff, see yeah. the, the kind of humiliating things. Although I was on Bill Cunningham in New York and I removed someone's obsessive compulsive, you know, desires on three people, obsessions. And I've done a lot of shows that show real life changes, but people always want to see the goofy stuff, but it's the goofy stuff, unfortunately, that makes people think that all hypnosis is just some kind of act or stage. Yeah. Even you think of stage shows, that the word stage is set up. So I've always had that kind of challenge all these years because people don't understand hypnosis as a neuroscience. Yeah. Although in hospitals in Europe, in the Mayo Clinic, the Mayo Clinic have statistical proof that hypnosis is a major asset in medicine, in surgery, in psychological issues, and in physiological imbalances within the nervous system. Interesting. So I'd heard that I don't know if it's the more intelligent that you are, the harder it is to be hypnotized. Is there any truth to that? Or is it, I can't remember if it was the other way around. That's a great one. That's a great one. Yeah. I used to hear growing up before I became a hypnotherapist or hypnotist, that stupid people are the one, the easiest ones to be hypnotized. Weak-minded people are the ones that go into hypnosis. I'm too strong. I'm too intelligent to be hypnotized and all that other BS. And I never put any value judgment on your intellect, whether you can be hypnotized or not, because I've had some of the most intelligent, top professional people 
top world-renowned actors or political figures or government figures or military personnel that were some of the best receptive people under hypnosis. Mm. So I never put a value judgment on your intellect. So the thing that weak-minded people are the best candidates for hypnosis, I think is totally incorrect. And if you really look at hypnosis as a state in therapy, as physical muscle relaxation and a state of magnified focus, well, let's face it, people that have low IQs or limited intelligence tend to have less focused engagement than people who are white collar workers or professionals or things like that. Hmm. So there's nothing to that. That doesn't mean a thing. If you're receptive and you're open, you can have a great opportunity being hypnotized and your life changing, even if you're aware of everything going on under hypnosis. In fact, you don't have to become unconscious for the hypnosis to be very successful. All you have to do is get into a receptive state, get your thinking mind out of the way, let it drift in thoughts, weaken part of your mind anyway, and let the hypnotherapist operator do their work to reach the goals that you want to achieve. See, I don't give you what I think you need. And I think a lot of doctors that prescribe medicine or diagnosis and all that stuff, they're trying to give you what they think you need. I want to give you what it is that you want. Mm. And I think that's the best type of therapy. Interesting. So you train people how to do what you do. Is that accurate? I train people. I travel around the world. I do one-on-one training courses. I'm really not cheap when you come and, and train with me because I want people who are real serious about learning. So I might even charge up to $10,000 for a five-day one-on-one personal training course with me where I bring in people, all types of people, for you to hypnotize and we do live sessions with everybody. But I've also developed, which is really cool, an online training course for someone who wants to be certified and start a new career and get certified in hypnotherapy and understand it as a neuroscience. That's the key. That's why I'm different from a lot of people. So what can they do? I, I want to talk about that a little bit. Like, wh- what is it they do? Because like you had mentioned before, you're not really big on the certifications. And so you've created one that's upper crust. But what is it that someone's going to do? They're going to take this course. How long does it take? What does it entail? And then what can they do with it? And, and before you answer that, I want to mention, I want to address something that you said. You mentioned huh. the word cheap. I hate that word. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's very low. It's a low class word. I'm not offending you, but I just think that maybe there's a better way to word that because I think, uh, I forgot if it was Buffett that he said, like, price is what you pay, value is what you get. And I think that what you're offering, it's fair. Um, Well, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You get what you pay for. Now, hey, a while back, I don't know if they still have it on eBay, but you can buy some phony document for like 20 bucks that says you're a, a doctor of hypnotherapy. Or you can spend ten dollars or $20,000 and go to a training course in hypnosis and learn some basic stuff or learn archaic methods or learn voodoo hypnotism, holding crystals or lighting incense and talking to angels to come down and work with you. I mean, there's all kinds of very interesting, colorful people in the field of hypnotism and as well as in other different types of holistic modalities. So you do get what you pay for, but I've created a course that's cost-effective, that's scientific, that gives you a chance to really learn various hypnosis processes and to be able to conduct, actually, after you get certified in this training course, 
to be able to take on clients to lose weight, stop smoking. I like to say release weight. I don't like to say lose weight because mm -hmm. if you lose something, you're going to try to find it. The key is you want to delete it. You want to divorce it. You want to release it and, and let it go. So I actually created a, and I'll use the word cost effective because a lot of people cannot afford to train with a top professional and spend 10 or 20 or $30,000. The ones that can, that's fantastic. But there are too many people out there that have gone to training courses and what they're doing is they're not just ineffectively helping people, but sometimes they're using the wrong words and they're amplifying the negative emotions or habits that people are coming in to let go of. So there's a great way of teaching hypnosis as a science and pinpointing the most effective goals and the most successful means to achieve those goals in hypnosis. And that's what I've been teaching over the past number of years. I've been teaching neuroscientific hypnotherapy. And the reason I call it scientific hypnotherapy because it's based on the science of the mind changing the physiological changes within the body. So I put together an online training course that is a very good course and it's cost effective for a lot of people to be able to learn how to enable people to stop smoking, to release weight, to increase motivation to exercise and remove stresses and tensions. It's not a course that you take and you're working with drug addictions or you're working with people that are suffering or experiencing strong emotional traumas in their past or phobias and panic attacks. It's not that type of course because those are the courses that I teach live to practicing hypnotherapists, medical doctors, and uh, psychotherapists and those kinds of things. But it really is a good online training course that gives you a lot of substance. It's six modules. There's tests, exams that you take after each module, and you can't go on to the next one until you pass it. There's in-class practicing with the students. It's taken right from one of my major training courses. Tom, let me ask you this. Who are the kinds of people that you recommend explore this or do this? Is it all different kinds of people? Is it certain people in certain fields that you recommend doing this? I mean, I've got to assume that this lends itself to a certain type of person more so than others. Well, it lends itself to a person that really doesn't like their job. I mean, only 7% of people like the gig they have. Yeah. That, that's the national statistics. I know. I Maybe know. it's somebody that wants, like me, I wanted to get in this field to help people because I was traumatized as a child with my nephew getting crushed to death at a fairground in front of my face oh, God. and created extreme trauma. And I was part of the cause of his death. And there was no one to help me. And back in those days, families didn't seek out psychological treatment because you were considered weak and it was considered to be taboo. So everyone brushed it under the blankets, under the covers, and I had to deal with my own trauma from it. And luckily, when I learned hypnosis, I got to apply my own methodology on myself to remove the emotional residue that was still left with me. How many years did it take until you discovered? I, mean, I don't know if that's something that you knew or, or is that something that you discovered when you were doing the therapy? Like, oh, wait a second. This is, uh, let me work on myself. Well, only when I got into hypnosis and, and I learned hypnosis, I got certified in it. I started thinking, wow, man, I've been in this trauma state for years and years for 30 years, 30 years, I couldn't talk about this thing without busting up and crying and feeling this extreme guilt. 
It's almost like a, someone in war and their buddy next to them gets blown up and they make it through, but someone next to them, one of their best buddies, gets annihilated. I felt this extreme pain, this extreme guilt, and unfortunately, it affected my life tremendously. And no one talked about it. It was never resolved. And I don't believe it would have been resolved with talk therapy. But when I learned hypnosis and I applied it to my own self with the self-hypnosis processes that I do on myself, I was able to remove a high percentage of the emotional attachment to it. Now, therapists will tell you it's okay to still feel something when something horrific occurs in the past, but it's not okay when it is so detrimental to your life that you feel you don't want to live or you're in, in constant guilt and shame. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. I couldn't talk about it for years, man, for years. I can talk about it now. It was my nephew. We were at an amusement park, and I was there with my brother and my mother and my nephew, who was my, my half-brother's son, my dad's son's child. Mm -hmm. So my dad's grandchild and my nephew. So I had to convince his mother. They lived right next to us. I had to convince his mother to let him go with us to the amusement park because she was so afraid. It was her only child. She was afraid that he might get hurt or whatever. She had no idea that he's going to get crushed to death under this people mover car. So we go to the amusement park. We're having a great time. All of us having fun. I'm 12. He's 11 years of age. And we're leaving to walk towards our cars. My brother... <clears throat> And my mother, I'm painting you this picture. My yeah. brother and my mother were in front of us. And I'm talking to my nephew, Skipper. And we're having a ball. He was my best friend. I could see in my mind as growing up. And he was the closest guy I was to in my entire life. So all of a sudden, there's this little truck with these two cars attached to it that are open cars with people sitting in chairs or, or sitting on this bench. And it's kind of like a big, long oval shape. And the thing's driving them to their cars. So I said to myself, I said, wow. I said, man, if, if we hop on that thing, we can beat my brother and my mother to their car. Like a kid. So I said to my nephew, I said, hey, let's hop on this thing. And we'll beat my mom and my brother to the car. And he said, okay. And we're all excited. So we run over to this people mover thing. And there were two cars that were behind this small little truck. And they were linked together with a chain link that was holding both of these people moving vehicles. And they probably had like 40 people on each one. And they were all sitting facing outward in like this oval shape. So we run over to it. I'm all excited about jumping on this thing. All of a sudden I get right to it and I see the thing is full of people. And something inside me said, stop. I don't know if you believe in a higher power of God or whatever, but something said, stop. So I stopped right in front of the thing, but my nephew didn't stop. He jumped on. There was nowhere to jump because it was full of people. So he jumped on where the cars were connected by this chain right in the middle. So I see him. He jumps on. Next minute, I see him drop underneath. And now this freaking thing is dragging him underneath the second car. Oh. He's dragging him, and he's underneath this car. And I'm screaming and I'm yelling and I'm crying, stop at the top of my lungs. And this thing wouldn't stop. Finally, I don't know how much time went on. It seemed like forever, but it was probably 20, 30 seconds. Finally stops. Everyone gets off this cars and all these people turn the second one over. 
And there he is. He's underneath it in a pool of blood, just shaking, shivering. His whole body's just shaking. And I'm freaking freaked out, man. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, my nephew, my best friend. So then the ambulance comes and my mom gets in the ambulance. She's all crying. and I, don't, I can't get in there, man. I don't want to be next to this thing. So then I, I, I walk over with my brother to the, to the emergency center. And then I was interrogated by the police asking me what happened. And then all I can remember is him saying, it's DOA. Yep. And so that's what happened to me, man. But you know what? Maybe life has certain ways of bad things becoming really good because it made me really want to help people because yeah, there was yeah. no one to help me. And I'll oh. tell you, man, these 37 years of helping people, this lady coming in 27 years later can go over bridges. She's got her life back. I hear these stories from people all the time. I'm not 100% successful in everybody. I never claim to be and I never will be. Nothing's 100%. But I'll tell you, if nothing else, if the trauma and tragedy in my life enabled me to be compassionate and have love for my fellow people. And, and I do a lot of free therapies too. So I'm not always there for the money because money's something, but being able to be of service to people, what a great gift I have in my life. And it continues to help me be a better person with well, everyone. Isn't that interesting, man? I, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but I'll tell you it's powerful. I will tell you yeah. that I really appreciate your candor and that, that share I think that anyone that's listening, if you're not moved, you should check your pulse. I think that, I mean, I, I got like one or two questions b before we go. Hey, you we're know, going how, so quick. I thought we were going to talk for the next five hours. I wish we could. God, do I wish we could. <laughs> this way you can have me back. You can have me back. Should I mention the websites or you'll put it on your podcast? I'll put all that. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure to get all that. So I w I'd like to know, so you get in there, and, and again, I'll just go back to myself as an example. Let's get in there. Let's say we go in and we, we tackle the migraines. And you know what? You go there one session, two sessions, whatever it takes. But I got so many other issues, as I'm assuming other people do too. The next thing I might say is, well, you know what? I'd love to be hypnotized to have better discipline around my diet. Or maybe right. I want to have a better discipline around, I don't know, a sleep schedule or whatever it might be. Is, does that happen often? Is that something that you can do where you kind of work with people multiple times to kind of refine them, if you will? Yeah, I do that, but I don't institute that. I don't initiate that. I don't engage in that. You see, I know, knew a guy, a hypnotherapist, that had clients coming back to him for five to 10 years or forever, rest of their life. He died, of course, or they'd still be seeing him. But that's creating a dependency. I don't need someone to call me and say, can I go to the bathroom? Can I go out today? I don't believe in dependency. Like this lady. I saw her this time. I helped her with her bridge thing. And then she called me because there was something else she wanted to work on with. And I was able to help her resolve it. So the answer is yes. When you see that there's been a result, a tangible result, and that's what I tell people when we work together. They say, did it work? I say, go out and test it. Tell me the results, because I want you to test the effectiveness of it. But if something does not work and you've tried it three or four or five or six times, I'll be the first to tell you, maybe right now, maybe this process isn't effective enough for you. And maybe you should find or seek other types of modalities. But absolutely, if I work with you and you become confident, well, maybe now you want to 
you want to get this new career. You want to finish your book, write a book. I worked with Danny Bonaducci's sister. You remember Danny from mm -hmm. the Partridge? Yeah, 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 of course. And in fact, when I did my radio show a few months ago, I saw him. He was doing, he's on some radio show. I'm sitting in this room and I go, oh man, there's Danny Bonaducci. He was smoking four packs of cigarettes a day. I did a show called The Home and Family Show with him. It was Danny Bonaducci, Dick Clark, and Mario Lopez. I was on that show three times called The Other Half. So Bonaducci was smoking four packs of cigarettes a day. You, you want to know how long it's going to take him to get lung cancer? Probably oh, not too long. Or if he ever has a brain tumor, the neurosurgeons won't operate on him because the size of his brain swells up with uh, carcinogenic tobacco. So I worked with him three times. I, I offered him a three, free therapy. I said, but I need to work with you for four sessions. I saw him three times. And then I'm in my office the fourth time. And again, this is a freebie. People sometimes work a little harder if they have something invested in it. You know what I mean? Yep. So anyway, he doesn't show up the fourth time. And I'm thinking, oh, man, you schmuck. I worked with you three times. I'm taking my time to help you. Getting him all off the cigarettes every week, less and less. Third week, hardly anything. And he doesn't show up. So then I see a few months ago in L.A. when I went to this radio show, He's in his radio booth doing this thing. I walk in and we're talking. I said, hey, I said, hey, man, what, what happened? I said, I saw you three times to stop smoking and you were supposed to come back a fourth time. and You never showed up. You didn't call or anything. And he looks at me, he goes, well, I stopped smoking. So I didn't come back. So it actually worked on him, but he wasn't uh, considerate enough to give me a call and, and tell, me, tell me about it. But yeah, absolutely. When you realize the power of your mind, and if you learn how to operate your mind effectively and you create one success, I don't do it for you. If I can remove a phobia, a fear of flying or whatever, like I've done on all these TV shows, you're the one doing it. I'm giving you the tools. I'm teaching you how to use your mind correctly. I'm teaching you how to think, what to think, when to think, and how to stop thinking. So you become the operator of your mind versus a slave to your thoughts and your emotions. Then when you get a success working with me, you probably have enough mental power to make other successes because you've made your own first personal victory. Does that make sense to you? It does. And I've got one question and then I got to wrap this up. Now we're obviously in a time of COVID. Are you able to have the same success with people through Zoom or whatever technical format you're using these days? I've been doing online Skype therapy and phone therapy for 15, 20 years. Phone therapy. Now I've been doing Zoom, and like I said, I've done about 85 to maybe even 90 over the past three to four months on Zoom. I closed my office in the local town of Ashland. I closed my office. Wow. I found that I've developed the most successful interactive processes. And the reason I say interactive is because the client is participating in the process, working for them. They're not just sitting there passively and I'm just giving them lip service and throwing in a bunch of words. They are physically connected to it through the interactive therapy methods, modalities that I've created over these years. But I find that my Zoom therapy is so successful that it is more successful than if someone came, flew in to see me, came into my office, and we're looking all around distracted and fearful in, the, in this strange environment because they can have the therapy session in their own home. They can sit in their most comfortable chair or they can be in their bedroom or they can be lying down on their couch or whatever. They're, they're in their own place of safety and security. The techniques that I do are just like when I'm doing live one-on-one in-person therapy. 
And at the same time, I have seen so much success in this interactive therapy. And it's easier for them to go into hypnosis. You want to know why? They're comfortable. That's one reason. Why else? I don't know. I'm out of, I'm out of guesses. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, well saying I, I don't know is a good thing because I say I don't know because the more I know, the more I know I don't know. Oh, that's my quote. Is it really? Oh, I say that all the time. It's the more well, yeah, that's so true. I, I knew we're meant to get together. The thing is, when people are watching a computer screen or watching a TV or a movie screen, it forces them to visually focus and concentrate and auditorily listen more. Mm. So I find on the internet, on the computer screen, like on Zoom, that they are more receptive to the suggestions and to being hypnotized than if they were in a strange office, feeling uncomfortable, looking all around in a unknown situation. Yeah, so it's better. For me, it is the best therapy. And we're gonna do a therapy session together. We're gonna work together, and let's see if I can remove your migraine headaches. And there was something else that you said, which I thought was interesting, when we were talking about the migraines, and I had wrote it down, because you said something like, well, I have them when I, and you said, I have them. So you have also taken ownership of those migraines because uh-huh. I have them. You're making that as an absolute. But if we work together, maybe you might be saying, I used to have them when I. God, do I look forward to that. I got to yeah, tell you, that happens. I'm having you on this show every week. <laughs> well, let's go for it, man. If you're really ready to do it and follow my instructions, let's go. Let's remove the emotion that's stimulating triggering the physiological manifestation of that thing you call the migraine headache so let me ask you this tom is this something that if i'm able to put myself out there that you'd want to do and we could record so other people could see you in action or is this something that's just so personal and private that you'd not recommend it i'll do it any way you want to do it brother did you ever see my brainwash show brainwash on discovery channel no i have not well i hypnotized a guy to kill someone in Manhattan, shoot him with a gun. Oh, I heard about this. Well, do you ever see the movie called The Manchurian Candidate? They made a great movie. The original Manchurian Candidate movie back in the 50s or early 60s. Who starred in that? Oh, I don't remember. Hold on, I'll look it up though. Frank Sinatra. Oh, I should know that. I'm in in Hobo. It was a great movie. Yeah. So I get called from a, a production company in New York and they called me and they said, Hey, Tom, can you hypnotize somebody, maybe against their will, to shoot and kill somebody? And I said, yeah, I can. They said, but everyone says you can't do anything that's against your morality or life script. And I said, yeah, that's what they say. But I said, Mm. if you do research on the mesmerist and the hypnotist back in the 1800s, working in hospitals, they were testing these experiments on very deeply receptive people in seeing how far you could push the envelope. So I said, yeah, it could be done. So then he calls me a year later and says, well, we want to fly you out and test you because we don't believe what you're saying is true. Everyone else, all the hypnotists says, they say it can't be done and this and that. And I said, okay, fly me to New York and let's do it. The company was called Atlas Media, Atlas Productions. So they flew me in and the head honcho, the president, the owner and and his you know staff of, 
of executive were sitting in this room and I was hypnotizing some employees and stuff. So then I programmed what I call post-hypnotic suggestions. Think of everything that I do under hypnotherapy is geared on a post-hypnotic suggestion, meaning a trigger to create the reaction of the suggestion later on after hypnosis. Like a post-hypnotic suggestion, perfect example. Tonight, when you're ready for sleep, you'll go lie in your bed, you'll close your eyes, your body will start to instantly relax, your conscious will become more quiet and quiet, and then you'll drift into a beautiful, peaceful sleep. So I'm tying in the suggestion into something that occurs in the future. So they flew me out and I hypnotized uh, their employees and I had them do all kinds of stuff that they would never do, including having one of the employees, this timid female, go into the boss's office and to criticize him on the work that he's doing for the production company. Really, like belittling him, which <laughs> she would never do that. But I had to do these things to convince them it was real. Mm-hmm. So then they sold the show to Discovery Channel. And I flew out and I worked with a neuroscientist from England and two forensic psychologists licensed forensic psychologist. And I did this show where I hypnotized different people through, and we did different experiments. One experiment was submerging a guy into pure ice water, an ice bath, an ice tub, for at least seeing if we can get him in for two minutes without any changes to their nervous system. They were hooked up to EKGs and, and all this different medical equipment. So this one guy, when I put him into hypnosis and put him in that big tub of ice water, if you ever put your hand in, in solid ice water or your arm within 20 seconds, it's burning. It's because it creates pain. This guy was in there for two minutes and he zoned out. His whole nervous system, his whole circulatory system dropped down like he was lying on the beach on a beautiful day. So we gave him this suggestion. And then I told him at the end that he wasn't able to be on the show. The production company disqualified him, but I already had hypnotized him and given him post-hypnotic suggestion to re-enter hypnosis quickly. Whenever you see someone on TV and the the hypnotist says a word or shakes their hand, they drop down, they've been preconditioned. Unless it's an act and fake, they've already had the experience of being hypnotized, the law of association repetition. Each time they allow themselves to go into hypnosis, they become more receptive and less conscious. So I shook his hand and I said, Hey, man, it was good seeing you. Thanks for being here. And then I gave him a word, a trigger word, and jerked his hand. He dropped down. So then we put in the information that when he goes down out of the building, he's going to shake the producer's hand. He's going to say, whatever the guy's name was, you did a spectacular job. And when he shakes your hand, you're going to go over to a backpack that's on a motorcycle on the street. You're going to open it up. There's a weapon in it. You're going to take it. You're going to conceal it. You're going to walk over to where these ropes are. This man's going to come out of a building and you're going to shoot him three times. You're going to drop the weapon and then you're going to forget everything that occurred. And so we did it and it worked. Jesus. And he didn't remember anything. Then we went and debriefed him. We, we debriefed him and he was so mad and angry. I mean, this guy, it, before we did the show, had psychological evaluations. They had medical evaluations. This thing was done in the most highest academic way you could do it. So then I restored his memory. I brought back the memory. He just couldn't take it. He couldn't remember what he did. And when the psychologist said, you shot a guy three times, luckily it wasn't a real gun. It could have been, but it wasn't. Or you'd be talking to me from San Quentin or something like that. (laughs) And then he was still upset. He asked, can you bring in the guy that was a stuntman? He had all those like 
yeah. those like packs on them that exploded and it looked like blood and everything. It's really an amazing thing, but it just shows you how powerful hypnosis is. It's a science that needs to be respected. People yeah. using it need to have morals and ethics. And the yeah. fact is, like anything in the wrong hands, medicine is poison in the wrong hands. Psychology is detrimental and dangerous in the wrong hands. And just like hypnosis. That's why I say, if you ever, any of you listening, want hypnotherapy, it's a fantastic science with very little side effects or none. Make sure you do your homework and due diligence and find someone who doesn't just talk to talk, but has a life history of successes in the field of hypnotism. So I'm leaving you with that. What do you think, Anna? I think uh, they don't need to do any research. They just got to call you. <laughs> I think it's just that easy. <laughs> but there's a lot of good got a lot of good people out there there's a lot of good people out there around the united states or the world but i'm definitely more than happy to work with anyone and then also to teach you scientific hypnotism hey tom, man thanks for having me on the show what a pleasure what an honor thank you sir tom this is fantastic and you are coming back there's not even a question thank you thank you sir i sure appreciate it and again Take me up on this experiment. Let's see if we can remove that physical sensation in your head that creates that experience that you call a migraine. In. Thank you so much, Tom. I'm glad we made today happen. Thanks, Adam. Perfect. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise. <laughs>